0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Make and Multiply. This is episode 23. A couple weeks ago we started working through some categories from what we call systematic theology, thinking through some some doctrines, what scripture teaches about various topics. And we started with the doctrine of scripture and went through four characteristics there. I want to move into the doctrine of God or what we would call theology proper. Uh, the study of theology is broad, covers everything about God and who He is and how He works and what He's doing in the world and everything He reveals about Himself in Scripture. Theology proper is the study of God Himself, the doctrine of God. What has God revealed to us about who He is and what He's like? And there are all kinds of ways to think about this. God has revealed Himself to us in Scripture by uh, giving us specific names by which we refer to Him. Uh, We see God revealed in his redemptive works in history. So by what he does, we learn about him. Uh, Creation itself is declaring the glory of God and revealing God. And Paul argues in Romans 1 that no one will have any legitimate excuse on the day of judgment because every human being on earth, no matter when or where they lived, knows that God is exists and is able to know certain things about him through the things that he has made. We call that general revelation. So God is revealing himself. One of the ways we speak about God is in terms of his attributes, descriptions of God, so adjectives that describe what he's like, or we could state those in in a noun form. So uh, God is love. He is loving. Um, We can talk about these attributes of God So the significance of this, I want to start there because this is not merely an intellectual or academic pursuit. The knowledge of God is relational. Knowing God rightly leads to deeper love and affection for Him. It leads to right worship. It produces worship in our hearts. Uh, It informs how we live out our lives. The doctrine of God is foundational. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Let that sink in for a moment. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. That determines the kind of person that you will be, how you live, how you live in relationship to the God who made you. So your thoughts about God matter. We've talked about this before in episode 10. We talked about fruit to root, that exercise of starting with the, the bad fruit we notice in our lives when we're acting in sinful ways or when we're experiencing some overwhelming negative emotion, starting from that bad fruit and working back down, okay, from how I'm living at the root of that, what am I thinking and believing about who I am? And what does that say that I actually believe about? what God is doing or not doing in the world. And at the root of that, what does that imply, I believe, about God himself? And then working back up from the root to the good fruit, beginning with the foundation. The root of everything is what we believe about God. Who is God and what is he doing? And when we get that right and our hearts are convinced and delighting in that truth about God, that produces that new fruit of God's spirit working in us and transforming us. So go back and listen to episode 10 if you want more on that. In episode 17, I talked about the four G's, a way of just summarizing some of God's character and his nature and his attributes. Uh, The four G's is a helpful tool because it's a memory device here for Uh, It's an alliteration, four Gs. God is great, glorious, good, and gracious. And that's a great way to just sum up God's attributes into four categories that you can memorize and have in mind and use those as a a launching pad in conversation with others and as you preach the gospel to yourself, reminding one another this is who God is. And as you believe that truth about God, then you need not live in the sinful way. You need not give in to these attitudes of unbelief. So, the 4Gs, check out episode 17 if you want more about that. Uh, last Sunday, when I preached from John 11, I, I made a point along these lines that our theology, our doctrine, in, in particular what we see in John 11 is that our Christology and our eschatology, that is our doctrine of Christ and our doctrine of the end times, last things, uh, is, is relevant in the midst of real-life suffering and pain and grief. In John 11, after uh, Lazarus died, as Martha is grieving the death of her brother Lazarus, Jesus talked to her about her eschatology and her Christology, and he asked this question when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Then he asked her this question, do you believe this? Which is so fascinating. How does that help a grieving woman whose brother is dead. Jesus is asking the question, do you believe these doctrinal truths? It was absolutely relevant because at the root of how we um, think and feel and live and respond to the circumstances, the the trials, uh, the, the ups and downs of life, how we live and respond and feel is determined by what we think and believe, how we're interpreting the world. And as we start to understand the truth about who God is, then we start to see life from God's perspective. And to the extent that our emotions and our behavior is flowing out of God's perspective, God's interpretation of life, then our living will be in line with who God is, and our emotions will be in line with what God thinks and what God feels, and we will experience that that joy and that fullness. And so, when we get this idea that our heart, and in particular the worship of our heart, what our hearts love and long for, what our hearts delight in and desire, that's our most serious issue. That's our most pressing issue. It's All of our behavior comes out of the heart, and in particular out of what our hearts love and and worship. Then we realize that really we need to get down to this root of what we believe about God, because that changes everything. And so all of that, I'm just saying by way of introduction, I want to spend several episodes over the next several weeks talking about the doctrine of God. And this is a massive topic. And I've really been uh, wrestling for a while here with how best to organize this. There are several ways that Theologians have classified God's attributes. When we're talking about an infinite God, and we're trying to do that in 15-minute episodes, we're going to have to do a lot of summarizing and, and boiling things down. Uh, so naming the attributes of God and classifying those attributes of God gives us a way to move forward. And, and the, theologians have done this in various ways. Um, sometimes God's attributes are divided into two categories of his relative and his absolute uh, attributes. So relative ones would be in relation to his creation. How does God demonstrate who he is and what he's like? Absolute attributes would be who God is in and of himself, not in relation to others. Um, so that's that's one way. Uh, another way to talk about it is God's moral attributes and his non-moral attributes. Uh, probably the most common way, especially in Reformed theology, has been to, to speak about God's communicable attributes and his incommunicable attributes. Uh, his communicable attributes are those things about God that, where there's something analogous in us. Uh, for example, God is love, and we as his creatures made in his image are uh, made with the capacity to love as well. God uh, knows. His knowledge is omniscient, but he has made us with the capacity to know things as well. God is good. He's, he's given us the ability to act um well, and, and righteously also. Uh, so those are communicable attributes. His incommunicable attributes are those attributes that God doesn't really share in common with us. There's nothing analogous in us. So we think about uh, God's eternality. He always has been and always will be. And and that just hurts our brain to even think about because we had a beginning. We know that we all die. And, and so the concept of eternity just hurts our brains to even, even contemplate. So those, those attributes that we, we really struggle to grasp, we, we wrestle with them because there's not really anything comparable to them in us. Um, God is present everywhere and he's outside of time and, and those things are difficult for us to understand. So communicable and incommunicable attributes is another way we could divide this up. Um, I also find the distinction between his imminence and his transcendence to be helpful. His imminence has to do with his nearness and his transcendence has to do with the fact that God is far above and beyond and completely unlike us. He is distinct from his creation. So his transcendence is his distinction from creation. His imminence is his activity within his creation. So in a lot of ways, all of these ways of classifying God's attributes really overlap, or they're similar ways of coming at it. Um, this is not, it's not that the Bible tells us we need to divide God's attributes up, but it's just a way to help us organize and think about these attributes. Uh, we see that concept of his imminence and transcendence tied together in a passage like Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy I dwell in the high and holy place. So that's a lot about his transcendence, his otherness, his completely uh, being different and separate from, distinct from. He's not part of creation. He's not another one of the things in the created world. He is outside of it and above it and beyond it, high and lifted up. He inhabits eternity. He dwells in the high and holy place. And then, listen to the end of the verse, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So this high and lifted up and lofty God who is transcendent above us and beyond us is not so far off that he has nothing to do with us. Rather, he's pleased to dwell with the contrite and lowly. And he does that for a specific purpose, to revive the spirit, to revive the heart. That is his imminence, his nearness, that God is involved with his creation, but not just involved. uh, In particular, he is acting in goodness and love and mercy toward his people. And so another way to think about this is just to speak of God's attributes of uh, strength and power and his attributes of goodness and love. And and again, I realize, um, there isn't necessarily every way that we could divide these up. There are critiques against it, problems with it. And in the end, we just pick one that is a a helpful way to arrange things. So what I want to do over the next few episodes is just think in these two categories of God's strength and power attributes, and then his attributes of love and goodness. And, um, I get that from a few places in in scripture one is isaiah 5715 his his transcendence and his imminence um, Psalm 62 11 through 12 says this once God has spoken twice have I heard this that power belongs to God and that to you O Lord belongs steadfast love power belongs to God and to you O Lord belongs steadfast love so God's power his might his strength, that's uh, broadly his, his might and ability to do as he pleases, uh, his sovereignty, his rule, his reign, and to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. That, that's the Hebrew word has said, and we'll unpack that probably in a, a future episode. Uh, we see those two things, his power and his steadfast love, they go together also in Exodus 15, 13. You have led in your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed, you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. This is at the time of Israelites' exodus from Egypt. So God's great redemptive act in the Old Testament, freeing his people from slavery in Egypt. And and Moses says, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed, you have guided them by your strength. So what was it that um, God demonstrated in rescuing and redeeming his people. It was both his strength and power working to bring it about, and it was his steadfast love or his covenant-keeping faithfulness, his, his love and his goodness toward his people. So um, I think that way of dividing things up will help us keep a focus on uh, how all of these attributes, these are not just abstract concepts about God um, for academic pleasure This is how God has revealed himself in Scripture, in his works, in history, so that we can know him and relate to him. And as we see his strength and power and as we're convinced of his goodness and love, uh, our own hearts are changed. Our worship is realigned to honor and glorify God for who he truly is. And then the fruit of that comes out in our lives for his glory and for our good so that's just an introduction and in the next couple weeks i'll unpack some of the specific attributes of god thanks for listening to make and multiply if you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles missional communities or gospel fluency please email me at ryan at emmausroad and if you're not currently part of a huddle or mc let me know and i would love to help you get connected If you're interested in more, you can find this content in our Discipleship Huddle Guide, which is based on the DNA Guide by Saturate Resources. The music on this episode is called Everywhere by Lee Rosevere and it's used under a Creative Commons license.